0: Three, four. The common counterpart. Welcome back to the common counterpart and happy sweet 16, our 16th episode. I'm Mark. And I'm Josh. 16. It's great, right?
1: It's big. We can drive. We can this if it's a big deal. It is. I didn't I didn't get you a present. I'm sorry. <sighs> it's okay. Maybe 18. 18's a better one. 18's a better you one. You can vote.
0: And I think we'll get to that. I don't think we're going to fall apart between now and then. <laughs> I hope not. Now we're doing good.
1: Man. I mean, how you feeling? I'm excited, man. The the I, the weather's nice. The Everything's kind of easing into summer. I'm, you got your uh, Aloha shirt on? I do. I'm a little bit Hawaiian today. Aloha. Uh,
0: I was feeling kind of good this morning. So How are I you thought doing? I'd, I thought I'd dress. I'm okay. Yeah? I'm, I'm good. We're, you know, trying to find some positivity this week was a little bit harder than I thought. Right. I mean, we were dead determined to come in as rays of sunshine and unicorns this week. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. It is honestly harder to find positive news.
1: Okay, so I've been told by a few people that that's just my, my spiritual gift is pessimism and negativity. Someone has to have that gift. So is it you and I lean towards Glass Half Empty, or do you think it's hard to find positive news st- items? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. Okay. I, I definitely
0: am more pessimistic too, which probably isn't the best combo for us to be hosting a podcast together. Right. Um, especially if you want to put a smile on your face. But, but can we
1: acknowledge positive people really piss us off? It's a lot. It's a <laughs> it's lot to handle. Much. I need, it's, like, I need a da- just a dash. It's that, uh, that uh, flower frosting thing on, on the birthday cake. Yeah. It's just too much. I just slice about half of that off before oh, I eat it. Me too.
0: Yeah, but I, I do think that there is something, and I'm sure there's some work that's been done on you know, what people are reporting on. And, yeah. and, and what's getting clicks. And it's funny because I feel like feel-good stuff, and maybe this is the, is the difference, um, and there are a couple of social media accounts that are, are, are pretty famous that really do focus on good news, but it, it, they're very small snippet, snippets, right? They're like little viral videos. Right. They're, they're acts of kindness. When, when you're told from your you know your director that you're gonna be writing a story and it needs to be X amount of words, it's like, man, if I go with something positive, it's so much more emotional. and. Uh, to me, emotional things don't take as many words. Right. Like, it's, it, it's very visually driven. And so trying to find news stories, which there are a couple. We found a couple sites mm-hmm. um, that really tend to focus on kind of that positivity. And yeah. there are some good things that are happening. But I don't know, as you were exploring, I found that they were really small.
1: Very short. Very short. Uh, almost gimmicky. Kind of. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting is I think there's a lot of good people doing good things. And I think most of us would consider that to be the normal. We expect people to be good. We expect people to be doing good things, positive things. Um, And when we see it, it's like, yeah, they're supposed to be doing.
0: Yeah, I think that's the the sort of natural state that we want to believe in. We also don't require as many sources and we don't have as much scrutiny for positive things like we just want to believe that to be so true that it's like i don't need you to cite a source like that just sounds awesome just put a picture yeah but when something's really negative i'm like i need 19 sources and a dissertation on why that's true yeah there's there's something there i think
1: i agree with you um so it was one of the reasons we wanted to go positive and we we kind of stumbled onto the perfect segue from last week's episode
0: yeah, and I feel like we've been kind of revolving around ag a yeah. lot, which if you hate ag, I don't know what to tell you. It's what makes you alive. So <laughs> I, you really can't hate on it. You but can't hate food. No, you can't. But, yeah, I think that we found um, – and it's funny because it took us a lot longer than it should have because we both kind of cover this Yeah. in, in class through different lenses. But um, urban farming.
1: Yeah, and, again – and it, it, it reeks of hipster millennial. Absolutely. It's the
0: it's maybe one of the original hipster movements, yeah. growing your own food. If you, mm-hmm. if you go back 10, 15 years, the people that were starting to grow their own food was like, that's super weird.
1: I, I, I Well, I'm going to be careful how I say this, but I know people who 10 years ago got in on, I wouldn't say urban farming because they lived out in the suburbs, you know, Fresno, North Fresno. But uh, they were growing their own food, they were raising chickens, and uh, I made fun of them. I just thought it was so, little house on the prairie, it was so, hey, look at us, we're, we're different, we're better than you guys. And 10 years later, uh, I'm thinking to myself, I wish I had gotten in early, so I didn't look like a follower. I, I, I really wish I could have been a trendsetter yeah. in this field. Um, but urban farming not and, and again it happens in Fresno and Clovis but some of the real cool stories are in uh, the the deep deep cities detroit chicago the mega cities the i mega mean cities. really the
0: ones that are the most dense where farming just absolutely makes no sense and everybody has kind of agreed that like that's not going to be our thing mm-hmm. right where the community says listen and as city planners as they're as they're constructing and um Putting these things together thinking what should we put here it's like everybody's kind of made the conscious decision that we would rather have concrete jungle business we're not gonna leave this we can make way more money on the development of um services and goods than we can on farming and everyone's like yeah that makes sense we'll just get it somewhere else so when we think about farming in these areas it it drastically bucks the system
1: and i think what we talked about last week and i think it applies this week is the food industry is not about feeding people. It's about turning a profit. And urban farming takes the money out of the hands of the mega food companies, and it puts a community uh, in its place. I mean, the urban farming, yes, you get healthy food, but it's all about community. It's about putting a name and a face to your food and creating a relationship with the earth. I mean... <clears throat> I went to Texas to see some friends and uh, the kids grew up in Texas and they thought it was so funny to make the joke, hey, do you guys in California think that chocolate milk comes from chocolate cows? And they thought that was hilarious because they really did think Californians were, were that stupid. To be
0: honest, I think that there are some people that do think that.
1: Uh, when When people believe meat comes from the grocery store, you have a disconnect between people and their food.
0: And it's been that way since we industrialized, right? Yeah. Again, that's that sort of agreement that we made like hey i'm i don't want to do this anymore i i'm going to do something else i trust you to take care of that i don't need to know the details anymore i'm not concerned how you do it i'm just concerned that i'm going to have access to it Mm -hmm. and urban farming really one of the main reasons why it's picked up so much is because there has been a lack of access to food
1: that that really surprised me and i'm I, i don't sign on to these grandiose political charged terms, systemic racism is one of those big terms that I'm really I'm uncomfortable with because it's so vague and it's so big and it can mean a variety of things to different people. But as both you and I were looking into uh, urban farming in these food islands or food deserts, there really is a level of, I think in, in one of the the terms it was industrial racism, where there are folks in America who have to hop on a bus and travel over an hour one way to get to a grocery store. Now, if they want to buy their food from a convenience store where it's beef jerky and cheese puffs, that's around the corner. But an actual grocery store where they can buy fruits and vegetables is an hour away on public transport. And that's criminal. And that comes down to a, to a, to a failed system. And I think both you and I know that wouldn't happen in uh, a ritzy gentrified neighborhood
0: yeah the the relationship between racism and industrialization is probably one of the biggest blurred lines I think that exists, and you know it's honestly it's it's a hard topic because you you want to believe that what's taking place like we opened with like is positive, mm-hmm. and the country's doing what it what it can to get rid of those terrible things that we've read about in our history and the just sheer non-argumentative racism that existed in this country, which absolutely is still a thing, you, you want to feel like it's, it's not Brown versus board anymore,
1: mm-hmm. like,
0: like we've made progress away from that. And as an American, I want to feel that. And I, I don't want to live in a place where that exists. But you, you start looking at the data, and it doesn't seem like a lot of progress has been made.
1: Right. And so what has been fascinating, and I got to go through a a list of these urban farms, and almost all of them were started by a person who came across a vacant lot and said, I'm just going to farm it. Uh, My favorite story was this guy in uh, Bonton, Dallas. I guess Bonton is this just forgotten, almost segregated community community. and they've got just terrible statistics in regards to crime and drugs and incarceration. And this dude shows up, and he just decides to start farming a vacant plot of land that he doesn't even own. And he starts growing vegetables. And then he start the the, the people of the community show up and like, dude, why why, why are you growing a garden? People are gonna threat you know they're, they're gonna steal your stuff, they're gonna destroy your garden. And he says, there's no grocery stores in this community. I'm gonna start growing my own food. And it was a grassroots beginning. Um, And now this guy is employing people because he actually created a food oasis in this food desert. Uh, Gave people hope, gave people community, gave people purpose. Uh, And now they're not eating, you know, uh, uh, instead of eating, you know, five cheeseburgers for $5, they're now eating uh, nutrient rich, calorie dense, healthy food. And, and, and that, I
0: think, is important to make the distinction. We talk about a food desert and that idea of, of not having access um, to affordable fresh food is really it. And there's a couple different metrics that I've read. One is if you're living in an urban area, it's within one mile. And if you're in a rural area, it's within 10 miles. So having a grocery store within a mile of an urban area and 10 miles of a, of a rural area.
1: And with, with us being in the Central Valley, are we... Uh are we the suburbs? It,
0: yeah, I think we would be considered more urban. Okay. Um, so within a mile, which is about true, if, oh, yeah. if, if you think about, you know, how it's set up. Now, the other thing that they often mention when it comes to these food deserts is the lack of transportation. Yeah. And, and that's a huge one. And I always show my kids a, a, a documentary of what living in a food desert looks like, because to us, if you told me the nearest, uh, you know, grocery store was 10 miles away, I would just say no big deal. Mm -hmm. But I also own a vehicle now you think about going to Costco you think about making the trip to Vons every week How many bags are you loading up into your trunk? I'm big time at
1: the grocery store. You just go hard I go I like once every two three weeks you just go in yeah, and I don't know how you and your wife do it but you know the wife and I have fallen into traditional gender roles, right? And there are things that I just expect her to do. There are things that she expects me to do. And one of the things I think I can do to help is when I go to the grocery store, I buy twice as much stuff as we need. I save, an, I save another trip. That way we don't run out of stuff. So I'm the guy, uh, 15 bags, and I'm the guy that tries to get in the house with the bags in his few trips as possible sure i mean that's a, that's a given right
0: now when you're at costco are you using the regular cart or you go with like the pallet loader <laughs>
1: no always the regular cart. dude the
0: pallet loader is intimidating if you go in with the pallet loader yeah. you're dropping coin
1: i do love it when you're in costco though and mom is using the pallet loader to haul her four children sure under the age of four yeah uh, yeah it's a good call
0: <clears throat> now when you when, when you remove transportation i mean think about what you're able to buy mm-hmm. right if i if i know that I have to take a city bus. And heaven forbid I have to transfer buses mm-hmm. because that becomes a nightmare. I mean, and heaven forbid you have kids because now you're talking about being able to hold two bags. How long is two bags going to hold you when you're on public transportation and you just spent three hours round trip and at the, and at the grocery store? You can't buy ice cream. And you can't buy, right. Dairy's out of the question. Mm-hmm. And it becomes, especially in the summertime, mm-hmm. It becomes an impossible task. And so it's not only the actual distance, but it's the logistics of everything. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, do I want to do that, spend my probably one day off right, doing that, or do I want to just go around the corner to the convenience store? right? Because it is convenient. Right, hence the name. Like yeah. that's, and, and they do have food. They, they don't have fresh food. It, everything in a convenience store is in a package.
1: It, it's packaged, it's processed, um, it's not... Uh, it doesn't have the vitamins and the minerals and the amino acids that you need. Uh, it's it's uh, high in calorie but low in nutrition. And here's the number I came up with. When you talk about these communities, most people will say a modest estimate of 40 million people in America live in a food desert. That is more than 10% of our population.
0: That's That, I think, is, is what's hopefully concerning to some people because— we, we were having a conversation earlier about where we fall in, in line of education, and maybe we'll cover that in an episode. We feel like we're, at, we're at on the top, mm-hmm. like, like everybody's doing well. That number proves that we are not doing well. That number proves that there is an underbelly that is not talked about a lot mm-hmm. because these people are living. Right. You, you can live in these food deserts. It's possible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You cannot live quality. No, And and the way in which, and I'm a huge believer in the fuel that you put is going to drastically impact the outcome. It is so difficult. And we've seen it. We've had kids in our classroom. When you are not fueled correctly, when you are not getting the right type of nutrition, Mm -hmm. school doesn't matter. It, It becomes absolutely secondary. I tell my kids all the time when they say that they're hungry, I'm like, you probably actually have never been hungry. Yeah. I've never been hungry. Right. My kids tell me every day, Dad, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten. I'm starving. I'm starving. <laughs> you're, you, you're, not, <laughs> you're not. You're not. You don't know what that Let's feels like. Let's do that experiment. Right, and I don't know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. But for those that do, or if you've ever had to do a fasting thing before a surgery or you've had to do those types of things, it is the only thing that's on your mind. Yeah. that That is it. And and your ability to focus, your ability to go out and do actual work, it becomes unimportant. Yeah. And and, and so it's it's a system and a cycle of of this harsh reality that people are in all of the time and who comes to save the day fast food restaurants mhm and people that are living in these areas are two and a half times more likely to be exposed to
1: fast food than those in wealthier areas because it's not about feeding people it's about making money
0: right and who who is more likely to want to go and get the 20 nuggets for a dollar yeah it now on the other side of that tell me it doesn't make sense it does because it makes perfect sense we're talking about calories mm-hmm. we're talking about feeling full and we're talking about lower income mm-hmm. and as and as a business it also makes total sense i'm here to make money yeah mcdonald's does not care about the obesity rate in this
1: country no, but they don't get paid to no, but they will tell you that uh, their their chicken nuggets are antibiotic free exactly so, now,
0: now they play the game, of course, they offer the salads, they do the thing end of the day, they want to sell as many cheeseburgers as they can right,
1: and so when you when you remove the 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 machine of, of, of making money off of food and you get back to the source of to me, food's a miracle. I mean, when you consider dirt, water, sun, and seed is all you need. Hey, yeah, it rhymed. That was awesome. That's awesome. Copyright. Don't take it. Um, but you can feed the world with with the basic elements that our earth provides, and yet we've been so separated from from where does our food come from? I mean, think about this. When the zombie apocalypse comes. Can you butcher a cow? Can you grow corn? Or right,
0: t- I'm, I'm dead. Right. I don't think my degree is going to get me very far.
1: No, and no one's going to care about your likes on social media. Right. But so, again, as a, as a developed nation, we've moved so far away from some of the most basic needs. Now, food, that's one thing. But even just people, I mean, how, how separated we've become from just being human, just polite conversation a sense of community people come together to help each other everyone's out to get theirs and they broadcast it on social media so what i love about these these um, urban farms is that this is about helping everybody and it usually the biggest the person who's the most impacted is the impoverished and there's a variety of reasons that that can happen whether it's, it's um you know generational poverty whether you're looking at someone who's had a terrible accident and is now stuck on Social Security and that sort of thing. But when you bring the food back to the community and you show people working with your hands, you, you're not a big fan of, of, of gardening and, and, and yard work. I, I mean, I, the yard work is fine. The, uh-huh. the gardening
0: stuff, I don't have a lot of patience for. And um, <laughs> I didn't grow up with it. My wife did. Mm-hmm. And she loves it. She spends... Hours a day right. outside with plants. And she really enjoys it. But and she you, does grow
1: food. But you also, you like to work out. I do. I didn't grow up with a whole lot of joy <laughs> from working. Now, I did play as a kid, but I also grew up with my mom doing a little bit of gardening and my parents, you know, moving plants around in the backyard. So there is sort of a connection about getting your hands in soil. And what's crazy is we know what good soil and bad soil feels like and looks like. And so when you let kids, dig in the dirt and plant a seed and they get to see that, you know, whether it's a tomato plant or whether it's cabbage or whether it's strawberries, there is a connection to your food and you're excited not to just participate and eat that food, but you're also excited to let other people participate in it. And so these urban farming components, yes, it starts with food, but it becomes so much more for a broken or impoverished community.
0: Well, and that's what we found as we were doing our research is that this has provided a way out for a lot of people who don't have a way out, Mm -hmm. who maybe have made some poor choices in life, who can't find a job, who are in a rehab program Mm -hmm. and trying to find the... Which I mean, we're talking about these these really dense urban areas where the numbers are really high. What else are we also seeing? High minority numbers. Mm -hmm. And when you look at what this provides... I I can't help but think that there is a little bit of like a return to basics about it that just feels right. You you watch the stories and you know, you you listen to people and the um the one that comes to mind the very famous TED Talk over a couple million views. The uh is he the gangster gardener?
1: Oh my god, he's so awesome. Uh, I, always mis- I always get his name wrong. And I'm,
0: and I'm definitely going to tag him on our Instagram post. Ron Finley. Ron Finley. Gangsta gardener. The knows. gangster gardener of South Central, right? Is it Central yeah. LA? Yeah. And, and he, his face lights up when he talks about this. And it seems like such a simple notion, the idea that he's just going to start, we're going to start growing food. And, and, and we have these areas, and we've all been in these big cities, where all of a sudden it just stops. Mm-hmm. It's growth, 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 and then there's a vacant lot. And it's like, what are we going to do with that lot? Nobody wants that lot. No one's using that lot. No one's selling that lot. Why don't we make something productive out of it? And you start growing food, and it, you know, you mentioned the simple ingredients, but it's it's not a simple thing to do efficiently. Right. You know, it it does take some time, and it takes some learning. And you know, what what he oftentimes comes back to is this idea of of people getting to experience the positivity of their work you, you get a reward for it mm-hmm. and it's, it's tangible and it's delicious mm-hmm. and you are feeding a community you are feeding the people that are just like you that you know i don't think that the people working for monsanto get joy from us eating the food but they get paid but they do get paid but it tastes different
1: one well, so here's the thing um, do you use the, the term externalities in your, in your no. curriculum? So, externalities is the non monetary price of something. So, for example, um, I, I think I saw a pack of cigarettes right now is eight or nine bucks. So, it's nine dollars to smoke a pack of cigarettes. However, the lung cancer and the emphysema is going to be a negative externality cost on you smoking. Uh, you and I driving gas guzzling cars. Yes, I get to work quickly, but the negative externality is climate change. And How do you put a price on you and I contributing to climate change because we drive a car? So when it comes to the, 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 the urban farming, one of the things that Ron Finley talks about is that people start to realize that f- fast food is dead food. Convenient food is killing you. Because when you realize it takes time and patience and some expertise and some care, you start to realize and appreciate the resource that healthy food truly is. And I'll be honest, do I want to invest months of time and energy fostering cabbages and tomatoes and cucumbers? Or do I just want to zip down to McDonald's and grab a 20-piece chicken nugget? And I think we've been trained in our industrial developed society Go down and buy the chicken nuggets and take your kids because they're going to want a Happy Meal and you're going to get them some apple slices so you feel like a good parent and they get that cheap toy, you know, made overseas. And it's just a broken system. But ah. you're done though. You are done. And, and you can go about your day. And, and I think that
0: that might be where one of the disconnects happen that this is not a job for us. Mm-hmm. This is not a uh, great use of our time.
1: The, far- the farming you're the, saying? F- the farming. Yeah. yeah.
0: You know, there's a, there's a great meme that's like, hey, do you want to waste an entire summer, get super frustrated, and save 55 cents? If so, you should grow tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because it, it doesn't. If, mm-hmm. if, if you start weighing the options of how many hours is it going to take for me to grow my tomatoes this summer mm-hmm. versus how cheap tomatoes are at the store, which they are incredibly cheap, yeah. th- that system doesn't make sense. But it, it, it doesn't, like you say, go into the, the non monetary cost of what's actually taking place here. Mm-hmm. You should get joy from working with your hands. It, it shouldn't yeah. just be a money exchange. You should get to know that you are growing something that's occurring naturally mm-hmm. versus what these corporations are doing to get you these vegetables.
1: Well, and the, the, so there's a book out there called Salt, Sugar, Fat. Have you, you ever seen it? I think I've seen it. It was super popular. Right. And, uh, I think the, it's a turned it into a doc, I think it did, or a series. I think it did. Um, and what's interesting is that um, in nature, there is a in nature you are never going to see a combination of salt, sugar, and fat um, in a in, in the way that you see it in fast food, uh, chips, soda, uh, you know, f- fried chicken from the fast food joint. The the food industrial complex has come up with what they call the unholy trinity, this perfect combination of salt, sugar, fat. And then the entire food science industry has researched everything from mouthfeel, the sound of the food, the initial smell and the after smell of the food, even the shape. They experiment with the shapes of food. Uh, You know, no one wants to eat a rectangular chicken nugget. You have to put round edges on it, okay? Uh, they even look at how to design it, how to package it. They look at ways, how do you make the, the, the flavor burst initially and fade away quickly so that it makes the person feel as though they haven't satisfied that, that taste component of food? So our food has been engineered to make us consume it at a very quick rate. And that's, that's a drug,
0: if absolutely so because it 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 doesn't
1: follow the normal sense that the body gives or the or the natural way th- i mean and, and that's what drugs are right they just mimic a natural response, but they 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 uh, it, it it grows exponentially you know caffeine small amounts, so what do we do we isolate it we put it into a uh, uh you know, a super caffeinated energy drink and you feel energized. Well, you're not energized. Uh, You just took more caffeine than you should have naturally been able to consume. And one of the things that these uh, urban farmers are are doing is they're trying to help people realize you've been hijacked. Your brain, your body have been hijacked by these people who are feeding you a narcotic-like food. And we need to help train everybody, myself included, because listen, you give me a bag of chips Okay. or like like chocolate-covered peanuts, and I'm just, I'm gone for the day. I'm going to eat them all and pass out. And that's not really healthy for you. You know, a treat from, from time to time. But these urban farms help communities, um, and it, it, it's, it's inner city, it's, it's, it's rural. Um, they help them realize this is how food is supposed to be. Anything other than this, uh, they're not selling you food, they're selling you drugs.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think it's, it's fair to say that you don't know what you don't know until you know. and and f- Trademarked. <laughs> and and for these communities, they don't know what real food is like. If you've been living in a food desert, mm-hmm. I, I don't blame you. You, know, you. You're trying to make it. You're trying to survive. You are going to do what is there. Like you said, if they removed all of the grocery stores, well, I guess I better learn how to farm. Mm-hmm. Because, or be,
1: become be, friends with somebody who can.
0: Right, because I don't have anything – I don't have any other way. Like we, the, the supermarket in, and I, I, I don't know if we mentioned this before on here or not, I do feel like the invention of the supermarket is one of the biggest life-changing, life-altering inventions of, o- over the last hundred years. It, and people probably wouldn't see that unless you understand the dynamics of how it works. It has freed us from something that has literally and figuratively tied us to the land hmm. for thousands of years you don't have to know how to do that anymore. Mm-mm. But the ones that do will tell you that they, they do it because it brings them joy, not because they have to. Those mm-hmm. that are farming, whatever small scale, they know the grocery store exists. Mm-hmm. But what they do know is that this is something that is therapeutic for a lot of them. They know that this is a way to get guaranteed crops that you know exactly what's happened. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what your experience is, but it's one of my favorite parts is when we and i should say my wife but i get to partake when we give food away uh-huh there's something about saying hey do you want this from our tree you probably have neighbors that do that to you mm-hmm. hey here, here's a bag of oranges and yeah i mean a bag of oranges at the store would only cost me a couple bucks mm-hmm. but there's something about that 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 free gift the community it's very community based and i and i kind of had this idea um, a couple years ago, and, and I still really want to do it because I, I just think it's great. And my, one of my buddies, Greg, actually does this. Um, he planted, he has a couple planters in the, his front yard, but he grows vegetables. And he has a little box that's out in the front, and he fills the box. <laughs> and he says, take what you need. That's cool. It's very cool. And, you know, some people, the, the naysayers, well, someone's just going to steal it all. Well, Okay.
1: You can't steal what I'm getting. Right, right? Yeah.
0: If you don't, if you if you feel the need that you need it, then it's not stealing. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and take it. If you're like, sweet, I just hacked the system. This is going to
1: save me five bucks. I stole me cucumbers. Right.
0: All right, man. Well, enjoy your cucumbers. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm I'm always trying to think about ways to one get back to community, but two to in, innovate the system that we're in. I think that a lot of us, especially if you live in um, the valley, would agree that having a front yard is an absolute waste of time.
1: It, okay. Are you familiar with the term invasive species? Yes. Okay. Front yards and fescue lawn is probably one of the most invasive, wrong ideas we do in America. It it is the dumbest. It doesn't belong. Especially in the valley. Oh my gosh, the water and the
0: resources and the time. What, What are we doing? Land is so expensive as it is, right? Real estate in California, especially like- We have got to find a better way. And what I thought would be great is if we just ripped out front yards and we made them into gardens and everybody kind of in your community, sort of your neighborhood, right? Took one crop. Okay. I'm going to do tomatoes. Okay. I'm going to do cucumbers. And- I'm going to get really good at it over the next couple years and when you need cucumbers come to me when I need Mm -hmm. tomatoes I'll come to you however it ends up working out but if everybody just kind of agrees because you do have this trend now where we're going with the rocks in the front yard right or you have the one neighbor who just refuses to keep up and you're like dude you're dragging down the value of the houses right now get out and mow your lawn
1: and if you're me you've got three neighbors who refuse to water and mow their lawn.
0: And it, but it only is that way because other people are not that way.
1: By the way, I, I, disclaimer, my front yard looks amazing.
0: Yeah, I know. I saw it. It's great.
1: The the um, the lawn, ugh, so green.
0: But also what a waste of time and money.
1: And water. And water, for sure. <laughs> the wife is happy.
0: Yeah. I, I, I do feel like we could be more productive with this. And you honestly would get everybody a little bit moving backwards towards this idea of being involved and maybe you would be more appreciative of farmers
1: let me ask you this um because you and i are a little bit different age group do you ever remember having to get out of the car when you got home and open up the garage door because garage door openers hadn't been invented yet
0: no okay that is not a thing
1: uh it is a thing because that's pretty much the reason my parents had children was to open up the garage. And if if it was raining-
0: And to change the channel
1: on the TV without having to get up? Oh, my gosh. Is that you? Yeah. So in regards to community, I noticed as a kid, uh, when everybody had to manually open up their garage door, uh, neighbors talked a lot more. But the moment my dad got a electric garage door opener and closer, uh, the door went up. He turned off the car. The door went down, and we stopped talking to our neighbors. Um. I think the gardening is, a, is, a, is another mechanism to make the neighborhood talk to each other again. So I, I have, I've got a question, Mark. What vegetable or fruit would you want to grow?
0: Man, that's a tough question. Let me think on that for a hot second and, and tell you about my lack of community. <laughs> and my wife would attest to this, and so would my old buddy that I lived right next door to. I won't get out of the car. Until the garage is all the way closed. Because oh. I don't even want
1: You know what oh I wish you guys I, could see his face because he's I, dying right now. <laughs>
0: I don't I didn't want people I, I, I didn't want people to see me get out of the car to possibly have the conversation. That's how introverted I am.
1: Okay. So you're gonna blame it on
0: my introvertedness yes. versus my hatred for people. But
1: you desire community.
0: I do. I, I, I like the idea. I like the idea of a lot of things.
1: Yeah. I like the idea of exercising. I like the idea of Brussels sprouts. I, I'm not eating them. I, dude, I ate a donut. Um, it wasn't even good. I don't know why I ate it.
0: It's never usually as good as you think. Sometimes it's Sometimes they
1: be. are. I, I just feel bad. I just felt like I had to confess that. Um, can my, I? Okay, my vegetable. Um, whatever you're gonna say, it's wrong. No. Yeah. I, I zucchini. No. You're. Don't you're,
0: tell me what I'll grow.
1: No, you are a tree person.
0: I don't have a lot of patience, and trees take a long time.
1: Well, they do, but I don't see you getting on your hands and knees. In harvesting a vegetable, I see you standing there just pulling off an orange or an apple just looking at it about four feet off the ground.
0: And just checking on it. I think you're a tree guy. Give it the smell. Yeah. I do love trees. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think zucchini because it's one that I actually really like. Really? And it's one that my wife knows how to grow already, so I feel like (laughs) she could teach me pretty quick.
1: I think I would prefer bell peppers.
0: Do those grow very well here?
1: I don't. I don't I, know. I think you need more water. Do we have? Okay, and that's another thing. If you do get some people who are just growing bell peppers, you know, one person or pumpkins or watermelons, that's way water intensive. But uh, tomatoes, you can put on a drip system.
0: Right, but and people may go there and say, "Well, it's really expensive to if everybody had a garden in the front yard." Well, right now we're using all the water and we're getting nothing from it but grass clippings. Right. So. And, and, I then, pay- and then also run that out. That's one less pickup for trash people every week.
1: Well, so here's, and I wanted to make this point real quick, because when you do look at urban farming, uh, there's a variety of positive externalities you create. Uh, number one is you do create a sense of community. I don't know about you, but in my old neighborhood when I did my own yard, because right now I pay a great guy 150 bucks to make my yard look awesome. I just go out there and stand in front of it and let the neighbors compliment me. And, you just... and I said, yeah, I got, you know, I got a green thumb, what are you gonna do? Right. Uh, but the positive externalities is, you're the person out there and there's a sense of community. People are always gonna swing by and say, the yard looks great, hey, what are you doing here? What a great idea. But you're also, you're creating nutrient and calorically dense food. The, the, the deep colors the, the the oranges and the greens and the purples um, you are actually composting your own soil with with with, with uh, uh, the stuff that's decaying from from the garden um, you control the amount of you may not even have to use fertilizer if you compost correctly and you shouldn't have to use too many pesticides uh, as some of these urban farmers get even larger you're putting money back into the economy. Some of these urban farms are actually creating jobs and creating educational opportunities for students who would have never had a chance to work with their hands and see and see farming. It also does two positive things that people don't talk too much about. It controls urban blight, because once you add beauty and growth to a depressed area, it does make almost every person want to make their property just a little bit better. Right? We we just talked about that. When when the one house has a great front yard, somebody's spouse is nudging you in the ribs, right? Like, "Hey, you need to go out and water that lawn." But then also in almost every single place where they've done these urban farms, crime has dropped. And I think it's because people are outside. People are invested in the community. They don't whether it's graffiti, whether it's vandalism, you know, and all the other sorts of things that come with urban crime. But people are outside, they're talking, they're they're listening, they're watching. And all of this positivity comes from folks getting together and like you said, working harder than maybe most people want to for their food, but it's not just about the food.
0: It doesn't always feel like work.
1: Not when you're with the right people, right? and I think
0: that there's a couple of other things too. Number one is these—they're going to have to have a place to unload these vegetables. Mm-hmm. You're going to see—you would see the growth of more of the. They're not walking into Save Mart saying, "Hey, do you want to buy my tomatoes?" Mm-mm. We're talking about local markets. We're talking about again more community. People have the opportunity to make things, to buy things, to shop with each other, to do all mm-hmm. of the things that we love. Right? We we've sort of turned these. Um, Farmers markets on a Sunday into like this cool thing to go do, right, and make sure you take your pictures of it and throw it on instagram <laughs> right hashtag sustainability uh but it that's the way it should be mm-hmm. and secondly, and maybe something that is way misunderstood is the amount of deficiency that most people have in vitamin D
1: mm-hmm.
0: is insane,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: there's obviously the idea of like the gloominess when you're in Seattle and Oregon and all Mm -hmm. these places where it's dark and it rains a lot and that's all fine and good and those are extremes but the majority of people are vitamin d deficient everywhere because we all work
1: inside exactly and vitamin d is the only vitamin you get from the sun now you again when milk and, and bread companies tell you it's fortified with calcium and vitamin d it doesn't matter go outside and play for 15 minutes you get all the vitamin d you need and calcium is in the water you drink. It's a mineral that's dissolved in the water. So please don't fall for the gimmick that Wonder Bread is good for you because it's fortified with calcium and vitamin D.
0: But it does make a mean PB&J.
1: I didn't get to – my parents were like health Nazis. I did not get to mm. eat a lot of white bread.
0: But also don't say Nazis, though, you know?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. It's 2021. Uh, it's a historical fact. <laughs>
0: I don't think they were worried about the bread you were eating.
1: Uh, no, but my parents were total health Nazis. Oh, you, okay. That's another episode.
0: We'll, we'll, we'll plan that one Have
1: out. Have you ever had like whole wheat bread with your, peanut, with your organic peanut butter and low sugar jelly?
0: I'd rather starve. I ate grape nuts as a, a kid. In a food desert. <laughs> that was probably insensitive.
1: Yeah. We're going to get called. Canceled.
0: Yeah. Well, before we go today, uh, we got a great piece of wisdom that relates to this episode. Josh, hit him with it.
1: Uh, I love me some Booker T. Washington. Uh, He said, a long time ago, no race can prosper till it learns there is as much dignity in tilling a field as in writing a poem. Um, And people are going to say, I don't write poems. (laughs) And
0: that's fair. I'd actually say there's more dignity in in (laughs) fields than poems.
1: Than poems. But... But whether it's what you do I – mean, as teachers, uh, accountants, business people, musicians, celebrities, um, I have a great deal of respect for people who can and are willing to till the fields and feed the people.
0: I, and I think that that's – it's a forgotten sort of art. And, and I do think that there's a hierarchy that's been placed in society, and people do not put farming very high. No. It's uh, – because it's seen as basic. It's seen as what we did originally. It's, it's on the same lines as gathering. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't do anything else, so you're just going to be a farmer.
1: Like, that's crazy. That's when I, I know me some, some farmers, uh, they're doing just fine. Farmers are fine.
0: <laughs> but it, it also is something that we should probably stay connected to. I a, agree. A little bit more than we are.
1: Well, Mark, I'd like to know that you're doing your part. Maybe you should get out in your yard and help your wife farm me some zucchinis. No? No. No? But she will. Interesting. And we'll take care of it. So I guess our next episode is going to be on hypocrisy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us for our Sweet 16 episode. Super exciting. Uh, Kind of a little mini milestone.
1: It is. Which is great. So next time is seven. So. NC-17? It, okay.
0: Well, maybe. We'll see what the, we'll see what the topic is. you have to come back to find out. Yeah. As always, make sure you follow us on Instagram at The Common Counterpart. Uh, if you have not done so already, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple and make sure you give us a rating and review. We would appreciate it. Appreciated it? We would appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's not use that as a soundbite since I just botched <laughs> that. And Josh, any parting words?
1: Uh, no, I am motivated to go do some farming.
0: I expect to see I, dirt under your fingernails next week.
1: You'd be surprised how frequently that is the case. But I'm not growing food. I'm growing plants. That's not as cool. I'm going to grow me some food today. I like it. I'm going to grow me like a tomato or something. I like it. All, All right. right, guys. See have you. a good
0: week.